0: Hello everybody and welcome once again as we continue on in our study uh, of the New Testament we're, we're going to actually study the entire Bible together uh, over the next 17 years or so. We're three years plus in and uh, we'll, we'll see. So I say that you know and I'm, I'm pretty serious about doing that. What do you think technology will look like 17 years from now? Uh, I often wonder you know because it's changed so much. If you think about what things were like 17 years ago, 2012, 1995. Yeah, so I think I had a cell phone in 1995 that weighed about 12 pounds. <laughs> and, and it had a big case and you, you, it would work, you, but it had to be plugged into the lighter in your car. And uh, I think that that was going on in 1995. So, I mean, that's changed quite a bit now phones kept getting smaller and smaller and then they finally realized nobody could see them now they're starting to get bigger again somewhere along the line texting came in don't you think if and this is a thought that i have i'm sorry i'm wandering already but don't you think if if they had invented texting first that when you could actually talk over the phone that would have been the big deal doesn't it seem odd to you that you're typing in now and I, I'm, I can't see to type very well, and the phone's so little, and I got big fingers. And, I, and, and some people are so into texting, and I get really frustrated because I'm like, just call me, because the question is more than I want to text back. I don't want to text back that answer. I want to speak it. And, uh, and so they actually came up with something that allows you to speak into your phone that sends a text. And that to me just seems completely ridiculous, because just pick it up on the other end and let me speak to you. But see, it's progress, I guess. I don't know why I went off there, sorry. Uh, We're studying the New Testament right now. We've been through the Gospels together. Uh, We've been through the book of Acts. And uh, as we studied the book of Acts, we looked at missionary journeys that Paul took. And so when we finished Acts, we decided we would work through Paul's letters that he wrote back to the brand new churches that he started And um, so we could look at them in the context of the missionary journeys, understanding then that what we're reading was written in response to questions that Paul was asked uh, as these new churches were started. These churches were all new. They didn't have any idea, for the most part, what they were supposed to be doing. Paul had had limited time with them because he was always run out of town. Uh, the longest period of time we know he spent with any of these churches with three years a lot of them he was in town for a few months before he had to go he would um, put leaders in place to the best of his ability then he'd have to go and they would go from there and the spirit of God was them and the churches flourished but they had issues and Paul would send back his guys sometimes to go and help them out he would revisit or he would write back letters these letters became the epistles which make up most of the New Testament which help us in today's church just like they did then as long as we remember the context they were written in. Um, They still apply to today, because most of the issues are the same. Paul deals with sin, and sin has stayed sin. Uh, 2,000 years later, it's pretty much the same sin. In fact, when you read it, a lot of times you're like, hey, that sounds just like us, Um, because it is. Uh, However, we want to hold it in the context of what was being asked and what was being written, just so we never take a verse of Scripture and try and make it say something that it's not saying. That's one of the things we have to watch out for. And so by studying the books in context, it helps us to hopefully do that Um, well. The book of Romans, um, Paul wrote this book, and this was to the one church that he actually didn't start. Um, We're not exactly sure how the church in Rome started, but they believe it was started um, at Pentecost by uh, people that were in town for the event who got caught up in that uh, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and Peter's first sermon and got saved and they went back, the, the ones who lived in Rome went back there and started a church. And uh, they've reached out to Paul who hopes to visit them and he basically, in this letter, he, he kind of writes a systematic theology for the church. And that's how a lot of people look at Romans, um, which is good, but there's a lot of practical advice in the book of Romans and, and uh, uh, he gives us so much to think about that I think it's extremely helpful in uh, for us as believers to get an idea of what's going on. And so we, we're into chapter seven today. We spent some time, the first few, few chapters of Romans, like I said, are the hard chapters because Paul is really pointing out sin. Um, but he does that to uh, make sure we all understand our need for a savior. Because if you don't understand your need for a savior, why would you why would you ask jesus to come into your heart and life and that's where life is found and so all of us have sinned and then he begins a discussion on the law and how the law didn't work um, for what they thought it would work for it did exactly what it was supposed to do which was to remind us that we need a savior because no matter how hard you're trying your own strength you can't do it you need jesus you need the holy spirit in order to live the life that we're called to and and then um last week we were in romans 6 pivotal passage in all that paul is presenting and uh uh, he, he talks in, in uh, chapter 6 how those that are spiritually dead can have life through relationship with Christ, reunion with Christ. And we talked a lot last week about being in Christ. And I said that's a foundation to just about everything that we do in our relationship with God, knowing that God sees us in Christ. Doesn't see all the mess, doesn't see all the problems, but when we relate to God, we can go right into the holy presence of God because God sees us in Christ. Christ it doesn't mean we don't have issues because we all do but that's how we relate to God which is really really good news and that um, in the process what can happen is we can begin to experience the real life that God has called us to by the hope of the Holy by the help of the Holy Spirit and so that's what we're talking about as we continue on in these verses and um, we touched on last week in Romans 6, how faith um, works in us to help us produce the righteous life that we're called to. And, uh, and that we have the freedom now to pursue that life in Christ. And that, that sin still, unfortunately, has a pull on us, but we don't have to choose to go in that direction. And that was the, the other big part of what we talked about last week. We can now choose to follow God and to do it right in his eyes, to do the next right thing. And that it's a choice that we have to make. And so, um, so that's what we're talking about last week. And um, this week, we're going to move into Romans 7. And Romans 7 and 8, um, there's something we need to understand. We need to understand the affirmation that I just talked about in Romans 6. And we also have to look at um, this other little concept before we move into Romans 7 today. And, and it's the concept of the believer having two natures. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, in, in what that means. Uh, the Bible talks very bluntly about human nature, sin nature, um, and that's an inbred tendency. It's something that we all have that's passed on to us um, through, from generation to generation, and uh, it, it warps and distorts the human personality. Human nature, uh, which in the original creation reflected the character of God himself, was twisted out of shape at the fall, and, and and now all of us have this twist in the, our human nature, in the nature that we were born with, uh, that we inherited. We, it's twisted. It's not what it's supposed to be. But what God has done for us in Christ is he's now added a new nature. We're, we're made a new creation. And those who believe are made alive in Christ with a new capacity for goodness that we didn't possess before. And so... Now we have both the desire and capacity to respond to God. We were touching on all that last week. But these two natures, the old nature and the new nature, are still at war within us. And we're to put to death everything that belongs to the earthly nature, and the old self and its practices are to be put off, and the new self that's being renewed in knowledge in the image of christ is to be put on so now in a believer in in one person there are two capacities i'm not saying you have split personalities don't hear me wrong or anything else you have two capacities in 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 you one is oriented to good and the other to evil and in each believer reactions motives desires values and behavior um, are all ways that God can express himself in us in righteousness when we choose to do the next right thing. They're also the avenues the enemy can use in sin. And, and so we're in this war, battle, by choosing to do what's Right. When we choose to do the next right thing, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. He's not leaving us here all alone. He empowers us to do what's right. And yet we will still mess up sometimes because sometimes we just do. It happens. Sometimes sin wins out. It's sad, but it's true. And like I tell you all the time, it happens. My hope is that every day we do a little better, um, but some days are better than others. And someday sin wins. Uh, you know, not the whole day because I got Jesus, but... I haven't arrived yet and sometimes things pop up and they they pull me away I get angry, I get sarcastic I get frustrated uh, I get anxious uh, I can be rude I can get very selfish and self-centered and start thinking about everything impacts me all of which is sin and just like that or I can stop, take a breath and say Lord I need your help he forgives me, loves me and then he helps me to do better and not be so selfish, and not be angry, and not be frustrated, and not be, you know, anxious, and, and he, he wants that, and when I do those things, I experience life, the life he's called me to, so we're, we're involved in this choice, the challenge then, for all of us, uh, is to live the new life that we have in Christ, and to choose to live for him by doing the next right thing. And doing it better and, and more often. Not performance, but just because that's where life is found. And then hopefully increasingly rejecting the old stuff that pops up. That's what we're shooting at. And I hope that you do it. I, I told you, you know, there, it seems to me that I, I, I get victory in certain areas in my life. Um, over time, there's things that, that used to impact me that don't now. Um, and yet, I, I, I got new stuff that's always been there. But now, it's time to work on and get rid of. And it's a process that happens until Jesus comes back. So, that's what we sort of need to understand and think about as you read through Romans 7, 1 through 25. Um, With me, I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV. You can follow along in your Bibles, whatever translation you have, or they're in the notes for you. 25 verses in Romans, beginning in chapter 7, uh, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said... Do not covet. Just so you know, and if you don't remember from last time, neat little word that you can use. When Paul asked himself a question, like someone else is asking it, that's called a diatribe, that form of writing, all right? And these chapters are filled with that. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Now that can be a little confusing to follow along with. And, uh, and so uh, I'm gonna just hit the highlights uh, and hopefully... Um, help understand what Paul, I believe, is trying to say in those verses. In the first four, five, six verses of Romans 7, Paul is talking about the fact that in Christ, we are legally freed from the law. And and let me explain that. Paul explains that by using a marriage as an illustration. Under the law, a married couple was bound to each other until one of them dies. The death of a spouse, however, freed the living partner to remarry. In the same way, what Paul is saying is that our union with Christ, our relationship with Christ is in many ways that type of marriage union, the, the bride and the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, we're the bride. Um, so when he died, we were legally reloose, released from any obligation to the law, just like that married couple. When one died, they were free from that and, and could get into a new life in Christ because he died for us we've been freed from the law and can move into a new situation God considers us to have died to the law through the body of Christ that was Romans 7 4 and so to be free from any past obligation to live under it now that's significant that we get that and remember that throughout the church they were having trouble with Judaizers who were coming in and trying to put Gentile believers under the law and it was a huge problem. And, and so Paul is in, in this addressing it once again to this church. Now, in those next six verses or so, in Romans 7, 6 through 12, somewhere in there, um, Paul talks about why it's so important for us to understand why we've been freed from the law. And he, he says something that's fascinating in there. I don't know if you, if you saw it when I read it because a lot of stuff. But uh, it said that our old nature, our sin nature, our sinful passion are actually aroused by the law. Now that's fascinating. And, and I'm, I'm, I wanna connect it for you because I think it'll make sense if I put it in the right way. Um, it's like telling a child that they can't have one of the freshless, fresh, freshless, one of the fresh baked cookies that just came out of the oven even though that's all they can smell because they were made for the company that's coming later. That child now, because he was told no, wants it worse than ever. We're all just like that. See, that's that thing in us. And so somehow the forbidden attracts our sin nature and makes it seem more desirable. Things seem more desirable. And so when we try and approach life as interpreted through the law, all marked off by do's and don'ts, it actually energizes our old sin nature. It feeds it. It, turns it up a notch because now now you're telling me oh if I, you tell me I can't have something then I want it do you, do you understand that, that situation does that make sense to you that, that when someone goes you know you can't do that all of a sudden you, you want it even more and, and so that happens uh, in the process but since we're not under the law anymore because of Christ we get to relate to God in a brand new way and that new way is by the spirit who speaks to us directly from within. The Holy Spirit's in us, speaking to us. And, and while the law energizes the old nature, the Spirit energizes the new nature. So I hope you make that connection. That's why it's so much better. The Holy Spirit living in you speaks to you and will direct you in life about what you're supposed to do. You can choose to listen or you can choose not to listen. But when you choose to listen, the Holy Spirit empowers you to do the next right thing, even if it's the hardest thing, even if it's not the easiest thing, but if it's the right thing, he'll help you do it. And, and yet the old nature usually wants to take a shortcut and, and do not the right thing, and that and stirs up and arouses that whole part of you. And we get to choose in Christ as believers. We get to make choices. And, and so the more we yield to the Spirit, the more better choices we make, the more life we experience, the more we yield and don't listen to the spirit. And then, then we get caught up under the do's and the don'ts. See, because if you, if you don't want to listen to the spirit, then then you're, you're going to try and live by rules. And then you're constantly going to break them because that's what we do. We love to break rules. It's part of your sin nature. You do. All of us do. It just it's, Sometimes they're simple. And sometimes I realize how bad I was in teaching my kids because like, I just had this thought, when Douglas and I were little, we went to Daytona, and uh, he's going to know what I'm about to say here, and, and uh, we, we were at the, the, the uh, he just remembered it, we were at the museum, the Daytona museum, and they had, they had the winning car on display, I don't know if you've ever been to Daytona, but if you're a NASCAR, and we were big NASCAR fans back then, the winning car is on display, and you can get within about, you can almost get right next to it, but there's a big sign on it that says, do not touch, and there's somebody watching it and there's a big sign that says, do not touch. Um, I wanted to touch that car, and, so, and he's watching me, and the sign made it worse, and so I actually, I just put my butt against it and did this, and went, see, I'm touching it, <laughs> and I was doing that right in front of him, and now I realize I probably shouldn't have done that, but the, the pull of that, don't, oh, what do you mean I can't touch it? It's right there, touched it. <sighs> I know he's got that I shouldn't have done it but I did I'm just I, I'm confessing my stuff some of it I mean I can confess that but uh, but isn't that funny how that do not touch made me want to touch it even worse and, and then you know well, I, and see I so because I, the guy was watching if I'd have done this um, you know with them blatant they would have been so I just casually leaned up against it and touched it like eh, just breaking that rule a little bit not really a problem sure it is There you go. The perfect illustration. All right, then the rest of those verses. Paul, what he's talking about then is the futility of trying to live under the law, of trying to please God in our own strength. It always fails. We want to do good. Um, we, we, we try to keep what we see as good rules or laws in our lives. We try. And yet we, we also know the shame and the agony of failure. And Paul expresses this so well. Paul writes this 30 years a believer So he 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 gets it. I want to read him to you again. Verse verse 15. This is Paul. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. If I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself, it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. Now the evil I don't want to do this I keep on doing now if I do what I don't want to do it's no longer I do sin living in me that does it so I find this law at work when I want to do good evil is right there with me for in my inner being I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death thanks be to God Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. See, this is not just the cry of of one desperate man. It describes the experience of all believers struggling against sin or trying to please God by keeping rules and laws without the Spirit's help yet the Holy Spirit will will help us and we can never underestimate the power of sin and attempt to fight it in our own strength because the evil one is an extremely crafty tempter as we've looked and we've seen the tricks that he uses to great success and all of us have an amazing ability to rationalize sin and you've heard me use that word before, rationalize it means we're excellent at coming up with rational lies about why sin is okay why this was okay Well, I'm not touching it really, sort of, kind of. But Sure it was. It was was Dale Earnhardt's car, too. (laughs) Then we we probably went and got Jeff Gordon's car, too, and did the same thing. Yeah, I'd already taught you that the next time we went back. (laughs) The stuff that we teach our kids. So... Instead of trying to overcome sin with our own human willpower, what we have to do is we, we take hold of God's provision to overcome the Holy Spirit who's in us and gives us power. And then when we do fall, he, he lovingly reaches down and picks us up. He says, let's go. Let's do it again. Next right thing. I've got you. I'm with you. I'm for you. That's Romans chapter 7. And the, the discussion picks up and continues on next week in Romans 8. We'll, we'll finish there for... Uh, this evening, and uh, we're so thankful that you spent this time with us. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you very much. Uh, You can go to our website at keedsvenue.com and uh, email us if we can pray for you for anything, and we'll see you again soon.